0: Hey, before I do the message, I want to just uh, talk to you, kind of fill in some gaps, maybe. Um, this is Palm Sunday, right? And uh, we have the palms, they're back on the table. You're welcome to take one if you would like to for your family. Um, i just kind of like to put that into like a frame of reference historically. Um, you know, Palm Sunday happened on the first day of the week. Jesus is outside of the city of Jerusalem. If you think of the city of Jerusalem You think of, maybe you've seen pictures of Temple Mount and you see that gold dome of the rock. That's a Muslim structure. That's where the temple would have been when it was destroyed by the Romans. In AD 70, uh, that was kind of a vacant spot until the Muslims built the Dome of the Rock there. So that is Temple Mount. And as you, have you seen pictures of it? You've probably seen those pictures looking down from the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley. There's one in my office. You can open a door and peek in if you want to see it. It's on a wall right behind me. So get a, get an idea. Jesus is in Bethphage and Bethany, probably up on the temple, I'm sorry, the Mount of Olives in that area. And he has just raised Lazarus from the dead. He's been very careful, Jesus has, because he wasn't, hasn't wanted to really fully expose himself as who he is until the time was right. You remember at one point he says to his brothers, for you any time's right, not so with me, because I'm going to die for the sins of humankind, is what he has in mind. And the timing on that was important. He needed to do other things before that occurred. But now the time is right. So he's on the Mount of Olives. And there's many, many people interested in this guy that just, they heard, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And so he tells his disciples, get a donkey. I'm going to ride into the city. Now you and I think, Jesus, let me help you out with a little bit of PR here. A donkey is not the coolest thing you could come in on. You might want to come in on a stallion. That would be better. Or I don't know if you've seen the new Porsche. Those are nice. You could bring one of those. How about a limo? How about a Hummer? A donkey? Really? Yeah, a donkey, really. Because in ancient times, a king didn't have to ride a stallion. He had an army to take care of those things. And he came in on a donkey as as the king. So he's riding this donkey, and the people are waving palms, and are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, because they see He's actually fulfilling what they're expecting. And they're hoping, they're confident, that he's going to throw off the Roman oppression and there'll be a new kingdom in Israel. They'll set up a kingdom there and it's going to be just like the old days with David, Solomon, you name it. Going to be good times, right? He comes down that hill and he comes into the city. And when he's in the temple courts, the outer courts, where the people are buying and selling and things, it's a highly trafficked area, Now children have caught on, and the children are doing the same thing, and and the religious leadership they don't like Jesus, they're jealous of Jesus, and Jesus kind of tells it like it is, and they don't like that about them, and so they're 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 saying, tell your disciples these children to stop this, it's blasphemy, is what they're saying. That's that's Monday, that's or Sunday rather, that's Palm Sunday. The next really big event that happens happens on Thursday, and we call it Monday Thursday. You may remember the mamas and the papas wrote Monday Thursday. No, they didn't. Not even two laughs. Thank you for that one laugh. Okay, yeah, Monday Thursday it means mandated Thursday, the Thursday that was do this in remembrance of me, and so he's celebrating the Passover, the the, the last supper with his disciples on Thursday, and he's arrested, and the next morning he's crucified, and we call that Good Friday. You think, why do we call it good? Because that is a day that Jesus died for our sins. He took our debt so that if we turn from our sins and put our trust in him, we can be forgiven. It is a beautiful thing. It doesn't feel like a good Friday when you imagine Jesus hanging there suffering and dying until you realize it's good for us. Good for us. He's in the tomb Friday. He's in the tomb Saturday. He's in the tomb Sunday. And Sunday morning, he gets up. He's he's resurrected on Sunday. That's when the disciples see him. So that's kind of a Sunday to Sunday of this week to kind of get it in your mind. And that doesn't have a lot to do with the teaching I'm going to give you today specifically. But I, I just know that I grew up in church. I grew up in a church with a great pastor who assumed that we remembered all this stuff or that we knew all this stuff. And so I kind of like every now and then just want to kind of give you that overview so that you have it in your head. This is Palm Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to be celebrating Easter Sunday when he came out of the grave. All right. Alright, so let's uh, begin with the message this morning. Hey, I'd like to encourage you, if you would, to open your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. I'm going to be reading about a half a dozen verses, no, about a dozen verses there almost, uh, together. It is really my desire this morning, and hear this, it is my desire this morning to be able to connect with you, and to be able to kind of share some of my life, some of my mistakes, and some of the things God has helped me to do with wisdom, so that you can kind of think in your own life how to do the wise things and avoid the mistakes. And so I'm going to use a number of illustrations from my own life, and that always feels kind of egocentric to me, you know? Uh, I try not to do that a lot, but it is a great way uh, to connect. So if you notice that this morning, just overlook it and say, "I I get what he's doing. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 21, and there is a Bible app event for this if you want to follow along that way. Have you ever been walking along, maybe in a mall or, or uh, outdoors, and you walk past some windows and you catch your reflection there, and you thought you saw your dad? That ever happened to you, or you thought you saw your mom? You know, I, I can remember one time that happened to me. I happened to be uh, studying at the university, and I went down to Kentucky to visit Laurel. We were dating at the time, and um, we were in the library in the evening, and she was reading something, and I was doing some calculus homework. And um, she, uh, I, I happened to look at the window of the library. It was dark outside. And I saw my reflection, and I had to look twice because I looked just like my dad doing the checkbook, you know? And I thought, wow, I look so much like my dad. And I can remember I said to Laurel, I said, my dad was still living at that time. I said, you know, if my dad were dead, I'd kind of wonder if he'd been reincarnated in my body. Because even my mannerisms were like my dad or, or my mom. Laurel doesn't say this often because she knows it really bothers me. But every now and then, she just has to say it. You sounded just like your mom when you said that, right? Yeah, no guy wants to sound like his mom, but we do. It is amazing to me how much you and I have picked up from people like our parents, people that we've been around. And it's amazing to me as well how much my children have picked up from me, and not even just my children, people I know. I see them saying things that I say or doing things that I do. And it's really a matter of influence in many cases. In a biblical narrative of Palm Sunday, uh, there are children picking up things from adults. You might not have ever noticed that, but uh, you're going to see that their behavior, the children's behavior, is almost certainly a reflection of their parents' behavior. So let's read these 11 or 12 verses here, starting in verse 7 of Matthew 21. It says, speaking of the disciples, they brought the donkey and the colt, and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, in Galilee, Okay, there's no children yet, right? Or none mentioned. No children have been mentioned there, but they're there. And the reason I say that they're there is because of what they do in the temple courts. Look at verse 12. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. Ah, there's the children. They're shouting in the temple courts. And did you notice what they're saying? Hosanna to the Son of David. doesn't sound like something a seven-year-old would have figured out to say on their own, does it? (laughs) They are doing what they saw the adults doing just a few verses earlier in verse nine. They are doing what they heard and saw the adults doing as they're coming down the Mount of Olives across the Kindred Valley and up into Jerusalem. They're, they've been influenced by the adults. Look at the response to the religious leadership. We'll just read two more verses. Verse 16 says, "'Do you hear what these children are saying?' they ask him. "'Yes,' Jesus replied. "'Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? "'You, Lord, have called forth your praise.'" And he left them and went out of the city of Bethany, where he spent the night. Hmm. The children in the crowd, praising God. It is very unlikely that they knew who Jesus was or what he was doing there or what he had planned. Perhaps when they grew and became adults, came into a better fullness of understanding, then they understood, but it's really unlikely. A lot of adults didn't even know what was going on. It's unlikely that the children knew what was going on, but they were imitating what they saw. Let's think for a minute about what they saw. Let's think for a minute about what it is that children tend to notice. And the first thing you see in this passage is they notice their parents worshiping. It's in the temple courts. They're saying exactly what their parents have said outside. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Our children and other people who we influence watch what we do. Even our adult children Remember, I told you I was going to tell you some stories from my life this morning, and this story is embarrassing. It's not a story that I tell with any sense of pride, but I tell it to make a point. A few years ago, our family was on vacation, uh, and it was an extended family that went with us, and on Sunday morning, we gathered together for a time of worship. If you look at the screen, you'll see my uh, daughter-in-law Rachel on the left, and then there's a couple nephews and a niece, and then my daughter Esther is on the right. They brought guitars and drums. We were having a worship center, or worship service rather, as we were gathered together there, sharing and praying and singing together. And I want to tell you, I was not plugged in. I wasn't plugged in even a little bit. And I didn't really think a whole bunch about that. I'm on vacation. Who cares? Just, I just want to relax. I didn't give it a lot of thought at all until afterward. My adult daughter came up to me, and she said, Hey, Dad, you weren't worshiping today. At least it didn't look like you were. She was right. Children are watching, even adult children. Children notice when we worship, they notice when we don't. They notice what we worship, they notice what we don't. And you can inspire people to worship just by worshiping, or you could distract. You can even inspire yourself to worship. Or you could choose not to. Children notice their parents. They notice their parents worshiping. Children pick up as well on excitement, and they, they even catch it. It would seem that everyone was excited that Palm Sunday. It was in the air, in the atmosphere, and it was contagious. <laughs> contagious excitement. Isn't it odd that excitement can be contagious? But it is. Driving through Albuquerque, New Mexico, when I was out visiting my son one time, I happened to notice an air dancer along the road. Who knows what an air dancer is? Yeah, you know what it is. You just didn't know it's called that. It's those tube men that are inflated by a fan. And they're waving their arms like crazy, right? Yeah. So the one that we passed in Albuquerque, I glanced at it as we were driving along. It it was dancing like crazy because the fan was going. And beside it, there was a little man dressed in green with a sign that he was spinning around. And do you know what he was advertising, what the air dancer was advertising? Tax services. What does an air dancer have to do with tax service? Nothing. What does the excited spinning of a sign have to do with paying your federal, state, and local taxes? Nothing. But accounting firms know that if they can make make it seem like they feel excited about it, then maybe you'll feel excited about it and say, I'm going there to have my taxes done. They have an air dancer, and that's exciting to me. Because excitement is contagious. It must work. They're doing it. They're doing it. You can excite people that you wish to influence by sharing your own excitement, and children pick up on that. They did in this passage. They pick up on your excitement. I feel pretty confident that the children noticed the change, too. I'm sure they noticed Jesus turning over the tables and running the, uh, <laughs> the money changers out of the temple. They probably also noticed the, the way Jesus behaved toward people who were in need. A verse is kind of, un, it's overlooked, I think, uh, on Palm Sunday is verse 14. Did you notice it? It says, the blind and lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. Wow. Here on this day, when Jesus is coming in on triumphal entry, coming in. Here on this day, when he's rolled over the tables. Here on this day, when, when the religious leadership is in high fever, wanting to denounce him. Here on this day, he takes time for that blind person and that lame person and he takes time for that person who's hurting and that person who's confused he takes time to interact with individuals and to meet their needs and i'm guessing everybody noticed that they saw changes healing physical healing emotional healing spiritual healing you can be sure they saw it all and they saw the power of god and when you see the power of god when you demonstrate that power in the way you live people are bound to notice they notice Let me ask you this question, kind of these thoughts lead me to ask, what do you want others to see in you? Or what do you want your children to see? Or anyone that you influence? What do you want your parents to see? Because I can tell you as an individual who has adult children, my children still influence me by the things I see in their life. What do you want your grandchildren to see in you? because I desperately want to influence my grandchildren. What, what do you want those in whose life you have influence, whether it's just incidental influence or intentional influence, what do you want to give them? What do you want them to see? I want to suggest a couple of things. I would encourage you to show them a hunger for God, a passion for Christ, a thirst for Jesus. People pick up on what you're passionate about. Let me give you another example from my own life. (laughs) I have been passionate about technology for just about as long as I can remember. I've just about lost every Clearfield County male friend I have because I so desperately want a Tesla. You know? (laughs) They say, that thing doesn't make any noise. Why would you want that girl car? I love technology. I had the first digital watch in our high school. I was a nerd. And by the way, if I call you a nerd or a geek, that is the highest compliment I can give you. Right? It's true. I was the first student at my college that I graduated from to use a computer and a printer to write my papers on, and the department heads had to have a meeting to see if it was okay for me to do that because they felt like it was an unfair advantage. How crazy is that today, right? Yeah. I had an internet phone phone before you could get an iPhone from Verizon. There it is. I still have it. Much to my wife's chagrin. It's in my sock drawer. <laughs> yeah. That Samsung SCHI seven sixty made me the coolest pastor around. Yeah. Love that thing. Do you ever wonder? Our pastor grew up on a farm. About an hour from here in Jefferson County, how does a pastor, I'm sorry, how does a farm boy fall in love with technology that way? How does, how does that even happen? He should, the John Deere he used went putt, putt, putt. How in the world did he fall in love with technology? And I can tell you, it began when I was four years old because my sister married the guy in the middle of that picture. By the way, that cute little boy there, that's me in front of my mom. The guy in the middle there, his name is John. And John was an electrical engineer. I think some of us didn't even know what that was when she brought him home. But he had cool gadgets. Really cool gadgets. He developed his own film in his basement. So cool. And at work, they worked on cool projects at Westinghouse. They developed parts for the camera that took the photographs from the moon for the Apollo missions. Wow, what a cool job that is, right? And in the 1970s, think about this. He brought a Japanese car to the family reunion that didn't have a carburetor. (laughs) I remember my cousin, he's looking at it and he says, where's a carburetor? John says, it's got fuel injection. And then, and then he put the keys in with the door open and that car talked to him. Your door is open. Your door is open. How does that thing talk? Where's the record player? How is that happening? And buddy, I fell in love with technology because the guy in the middle of the picture influenced my life without even trying. He never tried to get me interested in technology. He wasn't that kind of guy. But he just lived it and was passionate about it. And I'm so glad he was. Because it has served me well. Now I, on the other hand, with my son, I got him involved in technology as soon as I possibly could. And that has served him well. Two degrees in computer engineering, he's doing okay, right? And and I love this. It's happening with his daughter, my granddaughter. <laughs> How cool is that, right? I know Tim's not doing that intentionally. It just happens. You are influencing other people. It's happening in your life. You're influencing them with your passion. If it's a passion for fitness, you're influencing them with that. If it's a passion for the outdoors, you're influencing them with that. If it's a passion for politics, you're influencing them with that. The children in this passage saw the passion for the Messiah that the people around them had, and they caught it. It influenced them. What do you want to influence others with? Your passion will do it. Give them a knowledge of Christ along the way, though. Make that part of the influence. Often a Palm Sunday sermon, a pastor will say something like this. These same people who are saying, Hosanna in the highest are going to be yelling, crucify him before the week's end. And that may be true. I've said that before. But we really can't be sure. There's a lot of people in Jerusalem that week. What I am pretty sure of is this, that many of those people who were shouting that really didn't know what they were saying because they didn't have a real concrete grasp on who the Messiah was or what he was there for. They thought he was there to overthrow the Roman military oppression, and that is not what Jesus was about. And so while these people showed their children a powerful passion for the Messiah, they missed the mark on biblical theology. In fact, they had bad theology. And bad theology can be dangerous sometimes a little Bible knowledge can be poison. Haddon Robinson speaks of this when he tells a story of a, of a little girl named Jessica Ann, a five-week-old baby girl who made it into the newspapers in the nation. The nation's press picked it up because Jessica came down with pneumonia at five weeks of age and her father, John, described as a by the press, and described by the press as a fundamentalist preacher, John prayed for his daughter. He believed that God would answer his prayer. He believed that God was a God of healing, so instead of going to the hospital directly across from his home in Estes Park, Colorado, John prayed, and he continued to pray. He prayed day and night. He prayed fervently, and Jessica died. A little theology its a bad thing. Bad theology can be a dangerous thing. Those people whose life you have an opportunity to influence them, I would want you to influence them with a working knowledge of God's word. If, if they're your kids, then read the Bible with them and talk about what it's saying. You want to jumpstart on that? We're going to have one for you next week. Next week, we're going to give all the kids a little booklet that contains Easter stories from the biggest story Bible book storybook. It's brand new. Take that with you. Use it. Or find a kid's Bible reading plan on Version and use that with your kids. Or buy some good Christian books on christianbook.com. Buy them there because Amazon sells everything from fruits to nuts, right? Uh, christianbook.com, they're generally uh, a lot more uh, biblically biblically concerned than uh, maybe some other sources would be. But if you're wondering, hey, is this book any good? I'm just going to tell you, the woman that played the piano there, my wife, she would be able to help you with that because she picks kids' books like crazy because she has grandkids. right? Yeah, And plug them into your church family so they can learn biblical concepts uh, that will last a lifetime. We have Sunday school for all ages. You know, we have four adult Sunday school classes right now. No, three. Three or four. How many do we have? Three, thank you very much. We have three adult Sunday school classes right now. And we have kids' Sunday school classes as well. Plug into that. Plug into children's worship, where the kids are right now. Plug into the, the Sunday night children's ministry or the teen ministry. Just get your kids around the word of God and read with them, pray with them. Influence them. (laughs) Those people that you have opportunity to influence by helping them know God's word. And show them your own commitment to Christ. Because people watching you will draw conclusions about what you're committed to. If you're committed to recreation, they'll see that. If you're committed to social causes, they'll see that. If you're committed to family, they'll see that. All those things are good. But recognize this. Recreation will change and even become trivial. And social causes by their very definition, are established by society, social society. And society's opinions and perspectives shift more than I ever imagined. And even family. I mean, I love my family. I'd die for my family. But it's changing, ever-changing. But Christ, he never changes. All other ground is sinking sand. Don't get me wrong. Laurel and I took our kids to Hershey Park. We took our kids to Bush Garden. We took them to Yellowstone. We took them to Yosemite. We took them to Disney. We took them to the Grand Canyon. We took them everywhere we could. But we also took them on this missions trip to Chile where they worked in an orphanage and got to know some orphans there. And uh, I think it was life-changing. We made sure we took them to Christian concerts, concerts that were way too loud with really bad rap music in them. <laughs> right? We took them to conferences where they could see that there are hundreds, no, thousands of teens who love Jesus like they do. We took them to church camp, just 16 miles down the road, Mahaffey, where they could be saturated, saturated with people who have a commitment to Christ. We showed them our own commitment to Christ, prayerfully hoping hoping that they would get the same thing. Give the people you influence something worth giving them. These are the kinds of things. But if you're going to do that, then you're going to have to do something you might not have thought about. You're going to have to manage your influence. Everyone has influence. Not everyone manages their influence. And if you're going to manage your influence well, you're just going to have to think about it. You're going to have to give it some thought. Who has God placed in your life that you can influence? And I've been talking about kids the whole time because we dedicated a baby. But there are other people besides kids that you're influencing, that God has given you your influence. It could be, it could be your grandparents, It could be your brothers and sisters. It could be that person that really annoys you at work. It could be someone at school. It could be someone who who comes into your store or whose store you go into. It could be a neighbor. It could be your own grandchildren. Take some time today and just ask yourself, who's watching me? Who can I intentionally influence for Christ? Think about it. Who has God placed in your life that you can influence? And then pray about that. Ask God to help you identify them and ask him to help you to and listen. these words are chosen carefully. People say, Pastor Steve, you you use a tablet and read a lot. How come? Because, man, I'd be all over the place if I didn't. These words are chosen carefully. Ask God to help you naturally show them what he wants them to see. Naturally show them. And we just talked about those things. Show them a hunger for God, a passion. Just like you're giving that little guy a hunger for football, give him a hunger for Jesus. And show him a working knowledge of God's word because bad theology is a dangerous thing. So strategically place them in places where they can get some good theology and show them a commitment to Christ. Your commitment to Christ. One more Steve illustration. I promise I'll be done. Actually, I have one at the end too. Two more Steve illustrations. Hmm. My family traveled a lot. We had a six-foot, I'm sorry, an eight-foot cap for our pickup truck. And that was the first time we went to Pai Matumim, Tainas, the places like that. And then that graduated into a camper that went right to the end of the bed, but it went over the cab. And that graduated into one that hung over the back. And finally, we got that fifth-wheel trailer, 35 feet. We're going down the road, and we're not driving an electric truck. I can tell you that. Hmm, <laughs> yeah. Looking back, something I really appreciated about that was in the midst of that, how my parents showed me a never wavering commitment to Christ. <laughs> they did crazy things. So we go camping. Picked that up at 5 o'clock on Friday. We go on Saturday, or Sunday night rather, and then we go fishing all day Saturday. We come back home so that we could be with our church family Sunday morning. Who does that? Glenn and Mary Shields. That's who did that. Hmm. And they didn't do it legalistically, by the way, they did it joyfully. They did it joyfully. Even even when we didn't do that, we'd be out camping. And the Christian Missionary Alliance used to have this book. It was about this thick. It was called The Prayer Manual. Had a list of all the international workers and had a list of all the churches. We'd use that like a map. And I feel like I have been in churches from Maine to California coming in on Sunday morning smelling like the campfire because we're camping this weekend. People must look and said, who are those people? You know, We're the people who want to be in church on Sunday morning because we have a commitment to Christ. Here's something interesting. I don't remember one of those sermons. I don't remember even what the preacher looked like. Here's what I remember. Glenn and Mary Shields had an amazing commitment to Jesus Christ, and I caught it. I caught it. Third, and this one's really important. Number three, trust God with it. Here's why I say that. Influence is not manipulation. Do you hear that? Influence is not manipulation. Manipulation is painful. It's, it's harsh. It is sneaky. It's tricky. It's deceitful. Influence is like a breeze. It's cool, it's gentle. It's alluring. <laughs> it's nice. So <laughs> So influence people gently, and let the spirit of God do the rest. By the way, when the Bible talks about the Godhead, you know, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, it, it never says the Holy Spirit is a hammer. <laughs> it never says the Holy Spirit is an axe. He's not a pipe wrench. He's not a pair of ice grips. The word that's used is pneuma, which means air in Greek, or wind, or even breeze. And if you know your Bible, you know that there was a time that God showed himself to the prophet Elijah. And when he showed himself, God explicitly said, I am not in the earthquake. I am not in the hurricane. I am in the still, gentle whisper. King James called it a still, small voice. It seems to be God's uh, preferred method of influencing, and he's very good at it. And so you can do that. You can do your part in influencing and trust God to do what he does. Very last Steve Shields illustration. One of my favorite things that happens in my life is when I'm with a group of people in a Bible study, and one of them says, I was thinking the other day and then they say something really meaningful or profound. And I'm sitting there across the room, and I'm thinking, I said that three weeks ago in this Bible study. (laughs) But I don't do that. I used to do that because I'm wanting credit. I don't do that anymore. I love this sentence. I was thinking the other day, because that tells me the Spirit of God is doing something that I could only hope to do that he is using these lips of clay to communicate truth into a person's heart so that person owns it as though it is their own. That's influence. And that's what I want to pray that God gives you. So if you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together. And as the worship team comes, I will pray for you to that end. Let's bow our hearts together. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us to manage our influence in a way that is pleasing to you. A way that is effective because we're relying on your spirit. I pray for different ones of us here, and this is bound to happen. There are people here like, I haven't been doing this at all. And I pray that they would, (laughs) that they would see that it's not too late. That in fact, the very fact that they haven't been doing this gives them an opportunity to do it in a way that had they been doing it right along, it wouldn't show up like that. So may they find the direction of your Holy Spirit and the voice of your Holy Spirit to gently speak as the wind of your Holy Spirit as that still small voice in the way they live their lives and the way they influence others. One more thing, God. There are people standing here who desperately want the influence that they've given to their children, grandchildren, friends to become effective. Spirit of God, make that happen. By your grace, in Christ's name, amen.